0: Tonight, Bible study here at Celebration Church. Greetings to all of you here, as well as those at our campuses and those who watch all over the world on the World Wide Web. Stunning how many people watch us all over the world. It really it's kind of fun to watch the comments, all the different nations that jump in. And uh, it's great because it overcomes any kind of obstacle. People have the internet, you know. One of the greatest joys I had this year was this summer I was in uh, the Czech Republic, which is largely an atheistic country because they were controlled by the Soviet Union for all those years. So then the Soviets took off, Russians took off, and, but you don't just recover from that right away. So most people there have very little concepts of faith. And uh, <clears throat> I was speaking at this one venue, and afterwards this lady comes up and gives me a present, I can't remember what it was, and she says, I just want to thank you. She says, I came to faith. Uh, knowing Jesus Christ, being born again by watching all these videos and stuff like that. So, in that while, I mean, the lives that you will touch, you have no idea, and it's a wonderful thing. And thanks for all you for supporting what it is that we do. All right, we are in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians is broken into really two halves. The first three chapters are very much about theology. The last three chapters, my favorite part always is, is uh, whenever we just talk about basic Christian living. And uh, so we are into that now. Uh, Paul now in verse 15, writing to the Ephesians, says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. <clears throat> so when it says be careful how you live, there's lots of different versions of that. I mean, you want to be a good witness to people, you know. So you want to be careful about how you live uh, to people in front of people, and how uh, not just how you live, but how you react to stuff. <laughs> That's where people really look what you're see what you're out made of. How you react, not how you act, but how you react. How do things? How do you react to things in your life? You come unglued. Everybody notices that kind of stuff. And if you stay calm and faithful. People notice that. So be wise there, how you live, as a testimony. But also, in this really the context here, he's talking about being wise how you live by taking the most of every opportunity. Uh, the days are evil. They're also very limited, okay? None of us know how much time we have. And uh, I'd like to think that I'm still a, a little on the young side. <laughs> the truth is the matter of the matter is, in this big tunnel of life, I now can see the light <laughs> at the end of the tunnel and uh, anyone gets to my age starts you start seeing that and it gets it's a little creepy actually at first and i say well, are you afraid of your life ending no it's just that man you know you don't think about these things when you're a teenager when you're 20s or 30s or 40s even your 50s here your 60s all of a sudden you know tick tock tick tock everything we do matters And and I'm sure it's even more intense for those in their 70s and 80s. Although at some point, hopefully, you just have an attitude of, I just want to go home to see Jesus. You know, (laughs) I remember my wife's uh, grandma. She was finally in a nursing home and she couldn't really function well by herself. And uh, every morning she'd wake up, look around and go, oh, crap, I'm still here. Because <clears throat> at some point, you want to move on, you know what I'm saying? And hopefully we all get <laughs> comfortable with that concept. So make the most of every opportunity. I talked about last week about this idea of don't follow your dreams, follow your opportunities. Your dreams may line up with what God wants you to do, but there's no guarantee that it is. How do you know what your, what your dreams are? Unless you've had an absolute dramatic God-revealed dream like Joseph did in the Old Testament. A lot of people teach that story and then go into this big rant of how you should follow your dreams. But those were very special dreams. Most people's dreams often don't line up at all with what you're supposed to do. Very few people end up doing what they thought they were going to do at 18. Very few. All right. Uh, That's why, you know, going to college, make sure you think it through. Don't just automatically go off to college. That whole system has been rigged by the educational system. They want you to believe everybody has to go to college. Everybody has to go to college, because college people do this much. Oh, you know, a lot is just a bunch of hooey. Now, if you're going to be a brain surgeon, by all means, go to college. <laughs> Especially if you're going to work on my brain. There are some careers, absolutely. But this idea that college, you know, you know who makes more money than college students? Bricklayers, plumbers. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Get a trade. If your kid doesn't know what he or she wants to do, don't just send them off into college burning tens of thousands of dollars and ending up with all oh, this insane debt. They got this whole debt system going because everybody in this country has been convinced. They gotta go to college. I'm gonna get a degree in presenslegen, you know. Now again, there are those who are very focused. They know exactly what they want to do and a specific careers, some, require degrees. By all means, pursue that. But if you don't know, and that, okay, that's why we have our T1 program. We try to encourage people. Don't just run off to college right out of high school. Take a year off. Focus a little bit. We have our gap year program where we work with these young people. And I love doing it. And it's great fun. This year is a little bit different now. I actually spend uh, one day a week where I come in and teach them myself, which is great fun. I love connecting with them and filling their heads of mush with my twisted concepts. And, uh, and it's great fun. So, but we have wonderful people who spend time with them, teach them about life. This is how you do life. And then they learn to serve and stuff. And at the end of six months, they go over to seas for three months. <clears throat> this year, they're all going over to a, a, a Bishop Gary Rivas' church in South Africa. Uh, they'll be over there for three months learning about life, learning to serve, learning, hey, everything isn't about you, Okay and learning to be flexible and stuff. And it's great, it's a great experience. But then they can go off. And even then, look for your opportunities. You know, we don't all, very few people, even a lot of people go to college, most people who go to college don't end up doing what they went to college for. It's really true. When I mean, you're spending that kind of money, you probably should think that through first. All right? I was convinced at 21, I would be a famous rock star. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that didn't work out. <laughs> Ah, you think I'm a rock star, God bless you, yes. No, I mean literally. (laughs) Guitar playing rock star. Anyway, look for your opportunities. These are doors that God will open for you. What camera am I on? You, wake up, put me in the middle of the picture. Middle of the picture. Middle. Well, what's wrong with this thing? No, I see this. I'm like, on the, you see this? I'm on the edge. It's creeping me out. I want to be way over here. Well, it is right. We got to fix that. It'd drive me nuts, man. I got the attention span of a fly, man. I, I keep on, keep wanting to go like this. Get a little bit over here. It's not quite working. All right, ignore me. <laughs> Fix that stupid thing. All right. <laughs> Whatever happened to that one? I look at him. It's dead. Okay, move on. Back, back, back. Look for your opportunities. These are doors that God opens up for you. Make the most of your opportunities. Don't waste your life. Don't sit around doing nothing because you're waiting for voices and visions for God to tell you what to do. Look for the opportunities. People so over-spiritualize this stuff, they have great opportunities and they totally ignore them. It's like, I think I used this analogy last week, it's like being out in the water and you're barely staying above water, and you're praying God sends you some help, and some guy pulls up with a boat, says, let me get you inside. You know, I got to pray if this is God's will. Well, no, you get in the boat. That's an answer to prayer right there. Look for your opportunities. Look what's right in front of you. All right, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Oh, man, we got a lot of foolishness going on today. And this has been going on for decades. I don't know where this came up, but almost everywhere in the Christian experience, evangelical Christianity, they tell people that they have got to seek the Lord to find his will. It's kind of like, where's Waldo, you know? And we gotta find out, where is it? Where is it? I know not must to be there. I must be, and there's people who just sit and freeze and do nothing with their lives because they're waiting for some revelation. What is that all about? Good night, look for your opportunities, be smart about it. And by the way, God's will has very little to do with where you live and where you work. And this is what people are obsessed by. You know what God's will is? Don't lie, be kind to each other, in your anger don't sin, quit stealing, work for a living, don't say nasty things to people, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. All this stuff we've been reading. This is the will of God. The kind of person you are. Nowhere in all of this stuff does it say, oh, don't do anything until you fast and pray for 17 years about whether or not to take that new job. <laughs> I'm telling you, people are goofy in their heads and wasting, wasting years of their lives waiting for some revelation. There's still people in churches. We don't have that nonsense here. That I'm aware of, but people in churches who never volunteer for anything because they're waiting for the Lord to tell them what to do. I'm not making this up. They literally think this way. And they're waiting for some kind of vision before they can go change a poopy diaper and all, you know, I need a vision for God to tell me that, you know. Honestly, my good well Bible understand what the Lord's will. Yeah, quit being a dope. That's what it means. Don't be a nitwit. The will of God is right here. The will of God is Christ in you. The will of God is walking in righteousness, love, kindness, forgiveness, being nice to people who are big fat stinking jerks to you. Keep it really short lists of people's transgressions. Getting mad, he said, remember last week, you can get mad, just don't sin. And number two, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That's why I prefer to get angry at night. Gives me a good 23 hours to be ticked off. But at some point, you move on. Short lists. Let we keep it long record, 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 person who's done stuff to me, a frozen slay a frozen. Stop it. That's the will of God. Love people. Give money. Want to know what the will of God is? Start with your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know how many churches, you notice, if you've, if you haven't been around evangelical Christians, I know 80% of our church is ex-Catholics. So you're not quite as crazy as traditional evangelicals. And I personally appreciate them. <laughs> but if you go to a typical evangelical church, I promise you, when they take the offering, this is how they pray. Well, let's pray together and let's see what the Lord would have you give. Surely you've heard this. Surely you've heard this. I like you're tuning into some channel? Everything's got such, tell me to do everything. No. What can you give? He says, come already determine on what you're going to give. All this stuff about waiting for God's will for every little stinking thing is not what the will of God is. He says, don't be foolish. What we call the will of God today is absolute, pure, unadulterated foolishness. Thank you for that one amen. (laughs) It's right here. It's very clear. And why why would... I've told you this before. If you have children, do you tell them what you want them to do or do you wait for them to come and seek your face? (laughs) Oh father, I know daddy. Oh dear daddy and mommy. I was wondering what wouldst thou have me to do today? Please tell me! No, because mommy and daddy already told you. Pick up your underwear, get out of here. They tell you. Now, Jesus used these kinds of analogies and said, if you being evil know how to be kind to your children, why would God be worse than that? Why is God hiding his will for That's the thing. They, they act like God's hiding the will. I don't think God hides his will. His will is, I want you to do this. He's a big boy. He knows how to get that across to you. If you're paying attention, if you're not being deceived and foolish concerning God's will and waiting for voices to be popping out of the sky. Makes no sense. If God wants you to do something, he tells you. Remember we were reading about Philip's, Philip in the book of Acts. He's walking along. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just picks him up and drops him in another part of the country. I think that was God's will. <laughs> he went and around. Oh, Lord, where wouldst thou have me go? God knows how to get stuff done. Thank God. Don't be foolish. All right. Now, this one for all you Wisconsin people. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine. Why? It leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. And let me talk about this alcohol thing a little bit. Again, traditional American evangelicals are crazy when it comes to the issue of alcohol. Because they have become ludicrous, absurd. What's the word? Without getting myself in trouble. <laughs> they, they are, uh, no, what is it? When someone's real, they're a legalist, very legalistic. Remember when I told you about legalism? Legalism is when you overdo something that God made clear. For example, Let's say the rule in your house is children should not play in the street. That's a good rule, reasonable rule. I think most people would concur with the rule, don't let your kid play in the street. Well, a legalist will come along and say, well, then you can't play in the yard. Because if you play in the yard, you'll be tempted to go into the street. So, praise God, we got to get him out of the yard. Put him in the house. And then another idiot will come along and say, you know, if they're going to play in the house, they have to keep the curtains closed. Because if they keep the curtains open, they're going to look out and see the yard and be tempted to step in the yard and end up in the street. And another idiot will come on, no, 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 children should remain in the basement at all times. (laughs) Because if they go upstairs, they will be tempted to look out the curtain. They will see the grass, get out there, and end up in the street. That describes so many evangelicals today when it comes to issues like this. The Bible never says you cannot drink, but most evangelicals have fits about this and preach it religiously. And the reason they say is because if you take anything at all, then you can become an alcoholic, and therefore, if you don't drink at all, you can never become an alcoholic, which I guess makes sense. In their strange little world, fine. But that's not what the scripture says. Then they come up with all kinds of crazy theories that Jesus didn't really turn water into wine, he turned it into grape juice. Which is really odd, because at the wedding they said, man, this is really good wine. And I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say, man, this is some high-end grape juice. (laughs) He warned about being drunk with wine. Hard to do if you're drinking grape juice. How much grape juice do you gotta drink before you can get drunk? (laughs) Remember, he yelled at the Corinthians Christians, because during communion, some of them were getting drunk. Again, it's a miracle because they're only drinking wine or grape juice. It's ludicrous. It's absurd. It's stupid, 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 stupid. And only primarily, virtually, in America. If you go to any place else in the world and you gather with, let's say you're going to go with a pastor to lunch or to dinner in Africa or Europe or Uh, New Zealand, Australia, Hong Kong, wherever you go. One of the first things they'll all do is order either a beer or a glass of wine. In virtually every country in the world, South America included. Except in America. (laughs) Because we're much smarter here. No, we're really stupid here. Because we make issues that don't need to be issues. And by the way, just to put this in context, this has been so damaging. You need to know history. The problem most people, they don't know history. They think we all just got here yesterday, especially young people. Look at your history. Figure out how we got here. Historically, in the United States of America, the single greatest voice of change was the church. There would not have been an American Revolution if the church had not gotten behind and supported it. There would not have been a civil war and the fight for slaves to be freed had the church not yet. The people who drove all of that were Christians. They had a huge voice. People would write, visitors from Europe and stuff would write about how the voice of the pulpits of America are what drives the morality of the nation. Well, we had this wonderful influence like we're supposed to have. Until the turn of the 20th century. So the 1900s come along. And then pastors became obsessed with a female point of view. I don't know how that happened. Still has the problem today. Do you know that Christianity is the only major religion in the world that appeals more to women than to men? Most churches will have more women sitting in it than in men. Our church is pretty even. Praise God for that. Because I'm going to play this nonsense. In a lot of churches, I mean, it looks like a ladies' bazaar. You go in, there's flowers everywhere. Pictures of Jesus looks like a lady with a beard. Always <laughs> oh, holding a lamb. Bad, bad. <laughs> Guys walk in, man, what's with the lambs around here? <laughs> we talk about political correctness and the feminization of the male culture as, because most Christians are politically conservative. But the greatest co-conspirator in this nonsense has been the evangelical church. And we were worse at it. We started it at the turn of the night. In fact, look at period movies from that, uh, that depict that time or read the novels of that. They often find the pastor seated seated in the company of ladies. Very accurate. That's what they did. Became obsessed about it and being more emotive. And now men need to be more emotional in worship. They just became obsessed by all this nonsense. And the ladies of the day were really upset because a lot of their husbands were coming home drunk. So they got on this bandwagon and rather than speak sensibly, as the Bible says, don't get drunk with your wine, they decided they are going to help God out. Because clearly God needs help. Sometimes God just doesn't think things through. You know, good thing we come along. So they came along and said, we need to help God out. We need to ban all alcohol. And they did it. Constitutional, you know how hard it is to pass an amendment to the Constitution? It's really hard. When the church raised its voice, boom, everybody listened. Okay, and they banned it all. It was an unmitigated disaster, one of the most humiliating events in our nation's history. And so many years later, they had to repeal the thing and get rid of the amendment. You look at it historically, from that moment on, nobody listens to the church anymore, nobody. By the time we hit the 50s and 60s, nobody cared what we had to say, why? Because we make complete fools of ourselves, trying to help God out in an issue that we shouldn't have been barking about. God doesn't need our help, and to this day, not a single evangelical denomination that I'm aware of has ever apologized for the foolishness. In fact, they still preach it as truth. And it's only why you see it in America, and you won't see it anywhere else. Because of this nonsense, and we're so self-righteous, we couldn't have possibly been wrong. Yeah, they were way wrong. And it just takes me off. Can you tell? All right? Well, you're not supposed to get drunk. I get that, don't get drunk. There's a difference between getting drunk and drinking. Hard to tell in Green Bay. And listen to me, as much as you like to, yeah, Pastor, I drink. I do, I do. Not very often, but I do. I I, I don't get drunk. A lot of people say, oh, Friday, Pastor Martin, you believe in drinking. I see you guys at the bar, you're hammered, some of you. Out of your freaking little minds. Hey, Pastor, how's it going? No, you're not supposed to do that. There's a difference between getting hammered and drinking. Now, a lot of people ask me, you know, well, Pastor, what about marijuana? Now, marijuana is now the new alcohol. Why, why can't we just smoke marijuana? Because you can't smoke marijuana and not get hammered. It doesn't work that way. I know from personal experience. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I have great many experiences, years, years of advanced study <laughs> in this matter. You can drink a beer, and I get hammered. You can drink some wine, not get hammered. You can have other stuff, and I get hammered. At some point, you say, okay, time to stop. It's called self-control. Now with dope, a couple of ass puffs, and you're <laughs> There is no in-between. That's why it's not cool. Pass us? it's just like alcohol. No, it's not. Is it okay if Christians smoke marijuana? No, it's not. Why? We're not supposed to be walking around inebriated under the influence of something else. Instead, we're supposed to be under the influence, he says, of the Holy Spirit. That should change the way that we act. And we should. We're not talking about in between. I think you should be drunk out of your mind all the time, just not on booze. Not on dope, but on the Holy Spirit. We should walk under the influence. Because if you're under the influence, it changes how you act. Many of you have experienced this in the wrong manner. Drinking, taking something, and it changes the way you act. Some of you act like complete wackos. (laughs) The Holy Spirit should influence the way that we act so that we're nicer than we would normally be, so that we're more patient than we would normally be. In fact, if you're really walking under the influence of the Holy Spirit, it'll kind of shock you. Think, wow, I normally would have punched that guy in the face. I didn't punch him in the face. I must be under the influence. Yes. I would normally tell my husband to stick it. I didn't do it today, why not? I must be under the influence, praise God. It should affect, we should be influenced by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not with this stuff. Now, you know, then there's the, the fine line question. Well, what if you get a little buzzed? I don't know, only, only pinheads think in that manner. You know, they, they want every little detail work out. Just be smart about it. Pastor, we ever get buzzed? On a couple of occasions. <laughs> the most recent one <laughs> was about two months ago. Now, in my defense, <laughs> I just wasn't thinking. So we we're out in California. I got these friends, and they nice people. And they own this big old mama 40-some foot sailboat off the coast in the Pacific Ocean. So come on, we'll spend the day on the ocean. So, yeah, let's go. So me and my wife and uh, Luke, Hoppy, and Emily Blaha were with me. (laughs) And those two are getting married next month, all excited about that. Uh, So they're hanging with us and twisting their minds. And uh, so we're out there. Now we're out in the sun and the wind and the waves for like four hours. And nobody's drinking any water, no hydration. We're getting, you know, kind of, just, but you don't even know it. You know, it's like, woo, just, it was great. And the reason they wanted me is they wanted me to perform a wedding ceremony out there because they wanted me to marry them. So I did, out on this boat, floating around the Pacific. Do you take it? Got them all married. So we finally come back in. And they said, well, let's celebrate. And they popped out some champagne. Now, usually, you know, champagne's a little glass like that. So like holy moly, you know they all hand these big things to us. Again, we hadn't drunken anything in you know, all this time. And I thought, okay, you know you sip the stuff, sitting right. No, oh we got to get to we got to get to dinner. We got a special dinner plan. So they all hammer theirs, and they look at us. So you know you want to be polite. You know I don't know. So I just, okay. And look at them, they never drink at all. You know. And then my wife goes. Well, here, drink mine. <laughs> because she can't, because all her drugs and stuff like that. And they're all staring at me. Like, okay. Fifty minutes later, I'm walking with the guys. I go, you guys. I can't, I can't feel my face. <laughs> and I said, if you ever tell anyone, I'll kill you. But uh, I already told you, so I confessed my sins. (laughs) A little buzzed on that moment, but it passed. Praise the Lord. So don't slam after something like that. (laughs) It was an exception, not the rule. All right, so be filled. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Doing what? Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. In fact, you'll notice people who get under the influence of alcohol, they like to sing. Right? In heaven there is no beer. That's why we drink it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he said we should be so under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we should be singing. Not beer songs. <laughs> but psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. That's when you know you're really not only nicer, you kind of get a song and you start singing a little worship song you heard a church. It's called being under the influence. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is important, be thankful people. We should be, all Christians should be very grateful people. We should be marked as some of the most grateful, appreciative people on earth. To your your waitresses, to uh, your spouse, to your kids, to just everything. We should be very, very, especially to your pastor. Right. now now we get into the twilight zone now he starts talking about how men and women should be acting in their homes <gasps> the dreaded fifth chapter of ephesians let's read verse 21 now this is important verse 20 see everybody goes right to 22 which says, wives, submit to your husbands. You know how you love, ladies love that. All right. ah, we haven't got to submit that. Christianity oppresses women. Oh. Hold on. They skip 21. And in my experience, 21 usually precedes 22. Don't skip 21. What does 21 say? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean? He sets the whole thing up because he's about to tell how women should react to their husbands, how husbands should react to their wives, how children should react to their parents, how employees should react to their employers and how their employers should react to their employees. And he starts out the basic premise is we should all be submitting to one another. This is not oppressiveness to anyone. This is about respecting people. We should all have that attitude that I don't have to have my way all the time. All right, well, it's hard for people because a lot of us, we like having our ways all the time. And we don't like to yield at all. That's well, my opinion, I'm not gonna change. Submit to one another out of reference for Christ. And then he jumps in. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as a slave would submit to his master. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as a prisoner would submit to the warden. I got that wrong again, let me try it again. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. All right? people who howl and cry and bellyache over this verse that this is oppressive to women where does anybody get the idea this is oppressive to anybody first of all we should all be submitting to one another and he says wives should we submit to their husbands like they respond to Christ lovingly kindly you know this isn't about being bossed around and humiliated and abused that is not what this says How many pastors who cannot grasp this is beyond my comprehension, and it really ticks me off. I read an article some years ago about uh, Chuck Colson wrote the article. You guys remember Chuck Colson? He was a big prison thing. And uh, I think he's with the Lord now, but uh, he wrote this article about this woman who came to this pastor and said, my husband is physically abusing me. What should I do? And this very ignorant pastor said, you need to just go home and submit to your husband. A week later, he killed her. And Colson wrote, what is really sad about this story is that they surveyed a whole bunch of pastors and found out the vast majority of them would have given the same advice. This is how twisted this is in the ministry today. I don't know where these guys get this nonsense from. But women are not supposed to be beaten into submission by their husbands. Your husband's beaten you. You get out of there. You call the cops. Put him in the can. Then go minister to him. Send the pastor to visit him in jail. Unbelievable. So this has been, without question, abused for years uh, in the uh, Christian community. And it's just sad. And it should not be so. And by the way, whenever you see words like submit and the other one is obey, um, you know, we all know that words change over time. Words like, and these guys know it. I mean, instead of saying what Paul literally said in Philippians that I consider all my successes to be a big pile of crap, only use the S word, the translators—they don't use that. They say, oh, I consider it a refuse. They can't even say garbage. I don't mean, what's refuse? They use all kinds of words because they change. They don't—they really want things to be offensive, but yet they still use these stupid words. The words "submit" and "obey" is, are very oppressive words. I wish these translators would get a clue. So, what does it mean? Look, if you are the charge of your employees and you go in and demand that they submit to you and obey you, you're going to jail. You hear me? We don't talk in those terms today. They're very oppressive words. A better translation would be, listen to. Wives, listen to your husbands. How do we talk about our kids today? John, yell at your son. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. John, listen to your mother. That's what we talk, those are the terms. Everybody understands what that means. Very people, John, submit to your mother is not what most people say. It's, Everybody understands, listen to, take heed, yield, which is what submit means in the first place. That's why we have yield signs, and they don't say submit. <laughs> but it's the same thing. So I, I get a little irritated, by the word. Don't let the word throw you. This is not some oppressive thing. It is, however, something that wives should... But he starts, everybody should do this to everybody. And they he points out that wives should do this. Yield to their husbands. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. <laughs> I don't like that. And then a lot of women complain bitterly against their husband because he's not being the head. Because the woman decides what is spiritual and what is not. Which is not your calling, by the way. I don't think your middle name is Holy Spirit. All right? So these women say, yeah. My husband's not being the spiritual head of the home. By the way, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say the husband should be the spiritual leader of the home. (laughs) Despite how many times you hear that on Focus on the Family or some other Christian broadcasts or other churches, do you know not a single time anywhere in the Bible does it ever say the husband is the spiritual leader of the home? Who is or who is not more spiritual is what it is. A man's not required to be more spiritual than his wife. It just says he's the head, which means he's responsible. That's all. Well, my husband's not being the head because I have to take care of the money. And my husband's not being the head because he doesn't do this. I got to do everything. Look, just because someone does something doesn't make them the head. (laughs) Here's an example. The president of the United States, not just this one, but all of them. Whenever the president of the United States walks into a room, he's always the dumbest guy in the room. He is. Who do you think knows more about economics? The president or the president the, the uh, economic advisors in the meeting? The advisors. Who do you think knows more about the military? The president or the military leaders? Military leaders. The president's always the dumbest guy there. Always. Every time he meets with people, they all know more than he does. And I'm not just talking about this one. All of them. But who's responsible? The president's responsible. He's the head. It's like some of you guys work for companies, guys that own companies, and you make a widget. And if you knew the guy who owned the company had to make the widget himself, everybody would get broke. This guy's dumb as a brick. He didn't want to make a widget. He hired you to make a widget. He just owns the company. Just because you do stuff doesn't make you in charge of the company. Who does or who does not? See, in spiritual terms, authority is not earned. It is given. God has given this authority. God looks at your home and the one he calls responsible for what happens to that home is the man. And he will bring the weight on that guy. Don't be getting angry at your husband because you're more spiritual than he is. I've actually met with people in meetings in my office. He's not more spiritual I am. So? Well, the Bible says he's supposed to be more spiritual. No, it doesn't. A lot of women are way more spiritual than their husbands. It's true. A lot of them like to Read. A lot of women love to read books. Do you know, say, the average American male, from the time he graduates from school until he dies, reads one book. We read magazines, cartoons, the newspaper, but to pick up a book, most guys are not big readers. Consequently, you might find a woman who knows way more about spiritual concepts because she's read every book in the Christian bookstore five times. I just gotta have a lot of knowledge, but knowledge doesn't put you in charge of anything. Like, it doesn't matter who's more spiritual. So stop and think about it. If, if <laughs> My husband, he, he's not the head because he doesn't handle the money. Really? Look, if you're good with money and your husband can't, you know, add, <laughs> I think you should handle the money. It's crazy, these preconceived ideas that people come in and bark, he's trusting, he's boss stop! And by the way, as I dig the hole deeper, as much as women hate this idea of submission or be obeying or whatever, especially the harsh words, but forget the words, they don't like the concept. Do you know, in all of my years on this earth, and for the 47 years I've been a Christian, I have never been with a group of men Whoever sat around and said, you know, my wife won't do what I say. My wife doesn't do what I tell her to do. Really? Yeah, it's terrible. I know. Never. I was just at a meeting in New York City. I asked of all the men in there, any man here ever hear another man say that? No. Now, ironically, if I gather with a bunch of women. The complaint, he doesn't do what I say. Pastor, how can I get him to do what I say? Pastor, how do I make my husband do this? How do I make my husband do that? Do, one lady says, if, if my husband doesn't listen to me, how, do, how does he expect my children to listen to me? Hey, slow down, Pocahontas. <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible does it say a man is obligated to obey his wife. Isn't it ironic? The ones who demand the obeying is the one that are told to obey. <laughs> I didn't write it either. <laughs> Which is just like God. God usually goes after people who like to point their fingers the most. I guarantee you, if I go to any conference and I say right out of the thing, that's all I get from ladies. How do I make my husband do this? How do I make him do this? And Muslims, they want words, the right words. What can I say to make my husband do this? What can I say to make him do that? Now, some women have very badly behaving men, without a doubt. But the answer isn't what to say to him. The answer is to lock the doors when he's out. <laughs> or you move out and he comes home and you're not there. All kinds of ways you can get a man's attention. Men, ladies do not respond to words. You might as well be a giant chicken that's all he hears you want to affect a man men respond to consequences well he's acting bad what are the consequences every time well there aren't any that's why he acts this way well my husband does this terrible thing what do you do about it well nothing that's why he acts that way I encourage women listen what you need to do is you need to go find a woman with a great marriage not another psychotic person like you okay <laughs> but someone who has a legitimate dead on great marriage go d- describe to her what your husband does and then ask her what would you do that if what would you do if your husband did that <laughs> you would hear some consequences all right she wouldn't be saying, well why did you say this why didn't you say that just stop and really you girls, you love your words. You just love words. <laughs> but this word thing, I'm telling you, it's closer to witchcraft than it is to biblical teaching. What do you mean? What do witches do? The whole premise of witchcraft is to find the right incantation to make somebody do something. Right? And you like to get together and talk about, what magic words did you say? What magic words did you say? <laughs> What can I say? What can I say?) <laughs> you get together in your little prayer group around your cauldron. <laughs> <laughs> I have newt and wing of bat. How dare he say that I'm too fat? <laughs> Stop! Your answer isn't what to say to him if he's a badly behaving man, and there are some. (laughs) Go ask another woman who has great marriage. What would you do if he did this? Listen to what they say, and you start changing. And the women I can talk into that, they change everything. I promise you, if my wife let me do anything I wanted to do, I'd be in jail today. I'd be a disaster. But she didn't sit there and talk me to death. (laughs) She brings the hammer, man. Now, even though the Bible doesn't specifically say a man should do what his wife says, the Bible teaches that a man should do what his wife says. But you find that from Solomon's words. The wisest man who ever lived, he penned these words. Better to live on the corner of a roof than in a house with a contentious woman. In other words, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So should you do it? Unless you want to live on the roof? Yes, you should. All right. Now, as the church submits to Christ, which is not an impressive thing, do you guys feel oppressed by Jesus tonight? Nobody feels oppressed by Jesus. As the church in this wonderful relationship yields to Christ, so a woman should lead, uh, submit to her husband and everything. And then he hammers the boys, husbands, love your wives. Why, because guys don't think in those terms. Isn't it interesting, he goes after the women who want to tell their husband everything to do and says you should listen, and they don't want to listen. And then he goes, instead of going to the women who naturally, easily love, he doesn't tell them to love. Why? It's not, not her problem. It's the boy's problem. You need to love your wife. And By the way, you should tell your wives you love them. I'm always shocked by some of you guys. You never tell your wife anything nice. You should say you love her. Well, I, I told you I loved you once. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Why aren't you a joy to live with? <laughs> Love your wives. Not one man with many wives, husbands. <laughs> oh, I got Bible. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. What does that mean? He cleans us up. He covers us. He covers our blemishes. Makeup. (laughs) That's what he does. Husbands should not be constantly pointing out what's wrong with their wives but covering what's wrong with their wives. Amen. Amen. It's getting quiet now. I liked it when he's talking about the women. Now, this is no fun now. it's no good. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Why is that? He who loves his wife also loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. What do we do with our bodies? We feed it. We take care of it. I like this body. It's the only one I got. I try to make it as comfortable as possible at all times. I do. Why won't my husband get up and help me? Because he's trying to make his body as comfortable as possible at all times. (laughs) What he's failing to do is carry that for her. Trying to make her, do you see how wonderful this is? And here's the other thing about it. Oftentimes, men quote what the Bible says about wives and wives quote what the Bible says about men. Isn't that interesting? You know, stop it. Read your own mail. Mind your own business. A man should never, ever quote to his wife that she's supposed to submit to him. If you do that, you're an idiot wrapped up in a moron. Mind your own business. How about you focus on what you're supposed to do? Love your wife like Christ loved the church, covering her, making things comfortable for her because that's what we do for ourselves. Ah, now it's a little different ballgame. After all, no one ever hated their own body. Can't write that to the women. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> See, men don't have lowest self-esteem. We love our bodies. It's fabulous. Someone says, we need to get in shape. Hey, round is a the shape. <laughs> <laughs> they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we're all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Just talking to some couple last night for an hour and a half from Canada. This guy's about, they're married. They're about two weeks out from the wedding. And he announced to her, you got to quit talking to your family. I don't spend any more time with your family. Because the Bible says a woman's supposed to leave and cleave to her husband. She says, what should I tell him? The time to go read the Bible. It doesn't say that. It says a man should leave and cleave to his wife. The guy's an idiot. A complete moron. I said, you know what you should do? You should dump him. Dump him immediately. And watch him freak out. And then when he promises not to do it again, I say, don't you ever say that to me again. These guys are so dumb. I'm trying to communicate this man. If your wife breaks off all communication with her family, you know who she's gonna wanna talk to all the time? How stupid is this guy? If she's upset, you know who she's going to want to cry to all the time? You, you dummy. You should thank God the family's only five minutes away. When she's talking like crazy, you know, you ought to go see your mom. Go visit your sisters. Talk away. Get some of those words out. You want those people around, man? Built-in babysitters. Praise God! Anybody here hire a babysitter? How much are the? What's the rate now for babysitters? Eight dollars an hour for one child. So if you got three little monkeys, how much is that? Is that? It? You know the great thing about grandparents—they're free. You can stay out late. And they don't care. And the kids don't care. They don't want you to come home. Grandma's here. Whee! Quit talking to your family. You need to break it off and cleave to me. No, Bible says you need to break it off and cleave to her. Same thing. No, I think God would have caught that. <laughs> I mean, these people are so stupid, these people. Oh, what's the same thing? No, no, don't think like so. I don't think God went, whoops. (laughs) I hate it when I do that. (laughs) We're all members. We're all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Everybody tries to unlock the mystery. What does it mean? Well, he said, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. (laughs) I think a lot of people spend time trying to unwind something. That's really not that complicated. However, each one of you, so he wraps it up must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, uh, Chuck Swindoll said this one, so you can get mad at him. But uh, he says, when it comes to truth, men don't want to hear it because if a man hears the truth, he feels compelled to act on it. So a lot of men, you know, if a guy's, don't come to church. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Women, I don't want to hear it. Right? They don't want to hear it. Because if they hear the truth, they feel compelled to act and they don't want to do it. Women, he says, love to hear the truth, but they don't want to do it either. They just like to ask questions about it. So if I get a hundred men in a room and say, you need to love your wife like Jesus, a hundred of those men will go, oh, okay. If I get 100 women in a room say, you need to respect your husband, you're not going to get 100 different versions of, well, what do you mean by respect? You got a Bible study about respect? Have you got a small group study about respect? Can you do a whole sermon series on respect? No. You know what it means. Do it. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, how are we doing for time? Getting short. Next one, it's not remember, these aren't written in chapters, now he's going on to the kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that maybe go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on the earth. As a promise. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Uh, And then Jesus referred to adults that you need to honor, continue to honor your father and mother. The difference between being a child and an adult is children have to obey, and adults still need to honor, even though you don't obey them. The reason I say this is because we have so many jacked-up millennials today. Christian ones. I'm not talking about the crazy, crazy, you know, they don't want God. Christian ones who are well into their 20s, 23, 25, 27, 28 years old and still can't function because they feel they still are obligated to obey mom and dad. And I think it's insane. When did we become such a bunch of wusses in this country? When I grew up at 18, you were a man. Get out of the house. Go live your life. That's what We did. But not today. Man, your kid can be on your health insurance. How old now? 26. 26. Another reason not to grow up. And they can't function. And my mom and dad said, really? Stop. Now I wrote this book for ladies called Being Found for Single Women. I have another version being printed right now. It's almost here for men. And uh, the cover on the front's real cool. This one's the f- stupid fantasy of romance. And for the guys, he's holding this chick in his arms like Superman coming out of an exploding building. It's great. Uh, and uh, so I got just a few minutes. Let me read this to you real quick. It's real short, Little ch- they're all short chapters, easy to read. Um, the chapters listen to your friends and your family The common encouragement given to many young ladies is this, follow your heart. This, however, is deeply flawed advice. The heart, which represents your emotions, has been getting people into relational nightmares for thousands of years. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? But I have to be honest with how I feel. Really? I've never understood this line of thinking. Your emotions go up and down from one minute to the next. Why would you be honest with the most dishonest part of you? Only in relationships are we so incredibly foolish. If there's one thing you can do that will virtually guarantee failure in life is follow your feelings. People who are successful in life never follow their feelings. Students who study don't ask themselves if they feel like studying. World-class musicians never ask themselves if they feel like practicing. Entrepreneurs never ask themselves if they feel like working 18-hour days. Consider biblical heroes. I doubt Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt like being thrown into the fiery furnace. I'm pretty sure Daniel did not want to be thrown into the den of lions. We know Moses didn't want to go talk to Pharaoh. You can bet the family farm that Paul didn't want to be beaten and thrown into jail. And if you think about it, even Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. Remember his prayer in the garden? Father, if there's any possible way, let this cup pass from me. The writer of Hebrews gives us a great summary of people who probably didn't feel like doing what they had to do. He writes, they were those who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Oh, that's a bad day. Ah! They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Do you know why successful people don't listen to their feelings? Because their feelings would scream, don't do it! That's what your screams. If you're going to wait work really long, your feelings are going to say, don't do it! If you're going to study, your feelings are going to say, don't do it! Why? Because success requires sacrifice. What makes people think that when it comes to dating, feelings will be somehow needed to be heated? Married life is loaded with things no one wants to do. And all the married people said, Amen. Amen. But despite these warnings, dating is a highly emotional state. and Your emotions can cloud your head. Well, how can I sort these things out and know what to do? Here's some advice. Listen to your family and your friends, your mentors. They will see things you don't see. Trust their judgment and insights. They know you. They love you. They want the best for you. Hollywood romance novels, if you think about it, and television shows are filled with dramatic stories of how friends and families get in the way of true love. In these stories, it's only by ignoring your friends, ignoring your family, and following the heart. Ooh, that true love is realized. Just look at Romeo and Juliet. Their families tried to keep them apart, but they followed their hearts instead. Yeah, and they both wound up dead. <laughs> they probably should have listened to their families. Let me clear, be clear, though. When someone gives you advice including your families, it's just a way for you to see and hear a different perspective, a way to perhaps consider things you might not have considered before. It allows you to reflect on insights separate from your own feelings and emotions. It does not, however, mean you're obligated to do what they say. People often get mad. You'll ask somebody for their advice and you listen to them and you do something else and they get mad. Well, what'd you ask my advice for? I wasn't asking for you to tell me what to do. I just wanted your advice. You learn from advice. In the end, you have to make your own decisions. Talking to young people here. Marriage is always your choice. You just need to be sure you choose wisely. And let me give you some advice to those of you who are younger. You need to honor your parents, but you don't need to obey them. If you're eight years old, you need to obey them. But if you're a grown woman, you are responsible for your own decisions. If you love someone and want to marry him and your parents disapprove, it just means they disapprove. You will want to listen to their input about your decision, but in the end, it is your decision. You can respectfully and honorably acknowledge their disapproval, but you have every right before God to marry anybody you want. This is particularly important today because so many well-meaning parents have developed such a negative attitude toward the institution of marriage. Maybe it's because their own marriage sucks. Perhaps it's due to all the negative stories about young marriage in our secular culture. I don't know. All I know is that marriage is an honorable institution established by God for the benefit of human beings. If your parents disapprove of your plan to marry, be sure you listen to their concerns, be respectful, be honorable, think it through. But at the end, you got to make a decision. Even as an adult, even a young adult, you're not obligated to obey your parents. So many great young men and women, I've run into this, they're 21, 23 Why don't you get married? We really want to. What? My parents won't let us. What? All these snowflakes today. Good grief. I was a father of two at their age. I can't do anything. Well, my mom doesn't want me to. Oh, I know, your parents may threaten not to attend the wedding. I'm not gonna pay for your education. Cut you out of their will or a myriad of other hurtful steps. But if they do that, it's on them, not you. And by the way, all of their disapproval is likely to disappear quickly when you start giving them grandchildren. <laughs> if I had obeyed my parents, I would have never married my wife. They said we were too young, too poor, too ignorant, and that it would never last. That was over 40 years ago. Yes. Yes. So you say what children should have been? Yeah, your little children should. When you've got grown young men and women, 18, 19, 20, 21 years of age, you can give all the advice and they should listen. They really should. You can save them a lot of hard work. But it's their decision, especially if they're righteously wanting to marry someone who is also trying to righteously do that and you get in their face and threaten them and stuff because you don't believe in this kind of nonsense, shame on you. And all these parents, not you, you guys don't think that way. You've been listening to me for too many years. All those guys out there, they do that hear this constantly. And all I want to point out is that you are not obligated to obey your parents when you're an adult. If I would have obeyed my parents, I would have never gotten married. I would not be in the ministry. They didn't want me to do any of this stuff. Okay. So what? Of course, that was in the 60s. None of us listened to our parents. Right? Didn't we like all become independent young men and we a the whole thing, right? What happened to those days? Now I got 26-year-olds still on mom's insurance. I can't marry my sweetheart because dad doesn't like her. Oh, man, y'all crazy. Act like an adult, but no matter what, even when you disagree with your parents, you should always honor them and be respectful towards them. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, now, next week we'll pick it up. Start talking about children, more about children and how to deal with children, and how to discipline children. I'm gonna be reading to you from a book I just finished writing, uh, my first foray into the world of child rearing in my little book. It's called Treat Them Like Monkeys. And uh, I'll read that for you next week. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for your truth. Help us, Lord God, to be wise in how we live our lives as your word says, to avoid things we shouldn't be doing. Do things in a righteous way. Uh, Help us to love and honor each other. Submit to each other in this institution called marriage. Women listening to their husbands. Husbands loving and treating their wives like they treat themselves. And help us to love our children. And do our very best to put into, into them godly wisdom. But help us, Lord, to learn to cut the umbilical cord when they get old enough to go out on their own. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. All right. See you next Wednesday.